You're listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. Join your host, Pascal Fintoni, for what promises to be an exciting and intriguing voyage of discovery filled with advice, stories, and film marketing ideas. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on with today's episode of the Film Marketing Academy podcast. Saul Roger, in film marketing, since we are fast approaching Christmas, I would like to talk to you about a very special Christmas movie. Die Hard again. No, although we did oh. confirm and agree that this was one of the best Christmas movies ever. So I'm going to talk about the <laughs> second best Christmas movie, although a movie that really makes the top 10 or top 20 or top 50 Christmas films. I want to talk about Gremlins, released Gremlins. in 1984. Mogwai, Mogwai, bright light, bright light. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the memory cheats a bit, doesn't it, Pascal? Because initially when we agreed to talk about this film, I was struggling to remember it as a Christmas movie. And and I think in, initially it was launched in the States in June 1984. But it, yes, it was launched in the United Kingdom in December 1984. But of course it's a Christmas movie because it takes place at Christmas and there's lots of uh, Christmas decorations going on and, and all of that sort of thing. So I think it definitely does qualify as a Christmas movie. But again, it's one of those, it's a great movie. I don't know whether it's a comedy or whether it's a drama. I don't know whether it's a horror film or whether it's a <laughs> children's movie or an adult's movie. It Maybe it just appeals to all age groups and that what, that's what makes a good Christmas movie. Uh, I would agree. Uh, I mean, I think when you look at uh, the uh, the critics and, of course, uh, the uh, the interviews with the makers, they call it a uh, horror comedy. So maybe a bit of a bit of a get out. But uh, I know that when it came to a Christmas movie and the case of Christmas toys, I know that my parents would say to me, "You have to look after your toys because you know they cost money, it's expensive, and so on." But in case of Mogwai, I've never known any Christmas present coming with so many strict instructions. <laughs> they wanted you to treat the toy exactly how you would actually have to treat the animal itself, wouldn't you know? Um, you know, don't get it wet, don't feed it after midnight, and whatever the other thing you weren't supposed to do was no sunlight. No sunlight. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And you know the, the the original Mogwai is incredibly cute. Incredibly, uh, it's got great great big eyes, great big ears. Uh, you know, very cute face. Um, it did remind me a bit of a sort of cuter ET, I think, at the time. Uh, but actually, if you think about it, with its ears, you know, pointing out to the side, it's not dissimilar to the baby Yoda in Mandalorian that we talked about last week. Indeed, it's funny you should mention that. And maybe that's the rule of cinematography. If you want yeah. to make it cute, it must have big ears and big eyes. Yeah, Dumbo. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, um, I mean, my family, uh, we absolutely adored watching Greblins in the because it was one of those where you were laughing at horrible things. I mean, we mentioned a moment about what happens to the poor residents of Kingston Falls, you know, when uh, obviously the uh, Mogwai is uh, where well, the gremlins are released in, into the town 
But we at the time had a cute uh, little dog, a Yorkshire Terrier, and, <laughs> and she had those really much bigger ears than normal for Yorkshire Terrier. So because she was a female dog, we called her Gizmi uh, ah. in celebration of Gizmo, which is a name given to, to Mogwai. For a kind of film nerds out there, they'll know that Mogwai is a kind of bastardized version of Mandarin and Cantonese word for demon or little evil spirit. Mm, mm. And, and and again, those remarkable scenes. Once they go on the rampage in that in that town, there's one scene set in a cinema where they're all watching a TV when they're all watching a film and they're e eating popcorn and drinking beer. And I think one two of them are playing cards, and one gremlin obviously cheats, so the other gremlin shoots him. And then, the, as you say, genuinely, there's the one scene where the mother is being stalked in the house by two or three of the gremlins. And and she kills them all basically one by one in pretty nasty ways. I think she puts one of them in the microwave and mm. doesn't one of them go down the uh, waste disposal chute and, and get ground up like that. And that's pretty pretty gruesome actually. But maybe it's okay when you're doing it to something that isn't really real. Um, possibly, but you know that uh, we're going to talk about marketing in a moment, but um, the filmmakers got into a bit of bother with critics and particularly reviewers where they believe that this was essentially, you know, like E.T., or was a bit like you know other family action movies, and yep. they got caught out into frankly a horror story. And the original script written by Chris Columbus and where Drodante actually got involved as a director was even more like a horror film because particularly Drodante just worked on The Howling, which is a werewolf movie, yeah. and some of the the attack from the gremlins and what happens to uh, people were far far uh, more gruesome. Uh, I, as I'm listening to you, I'm smiling because I'm remembering, of course one of the most infamous scene is the old neighbor the lady who basically <laughs> end up you know using her stair lift that you know has been interfered with by the gremlins yes. and she goes shooting across the window into, into the backyard <laughs> yeah but pascal it is a good film and we will talk about the marketing in a moment but for my to my mind there was also one scene in this film which was utter utter rubbish and it's the scene where the um, the two protagonists, Zach Galligan and, and Phoebe Cates, I can't remember what their characters were called, they're talking about a Christmas Eve from her childhood. And I can't remember whether it was an uncle or father had climbed down the, the chimney to try and surprise them all as Father Christmas. And he got stuck and he died, but they didn't know where he was. And this whole scene was played out in all seriousness. And it just wasn't, it was just wasn't serious at all, but neither was it funny. And I always remember thinking, what was all that about? And if I'd have been the director, I might have just edited that scene out entirely. Interestingly, that's actually a, a symptom of the remnants of the original script, because mm -hmm. the original script, again, was far more into a horror genre than kind of mm -hmm. horror comedy or dark comedy. And I know that Steven Spielberg, who was the executive producer, wanted that particular dialogue uh, segment out. So did yeah. the Warner Brothers and so on. But Rodante was keen to retain it. And the reason for that is because the film, as you watch it over and over again, is actually playing back some of the urban legend that people uh. used to... So the case of the uh, the gremlin in the microwave was the urban legend of people drying uh, their pets in microwave. Uh. The, um, this one about people being stuck in the chimney was an urban legend. So he was using uh, the story to play back uh, urban legend, but also play back to us some of the 
more darker elements of fairy tales so that the gremlins and what they do and how they behave if you look at some of the original version of the the grim brothers mentioned actually a moment ago they are like that you know i mean hansel and gretel the original story is truly terrifying not this Uh kind of softened version that we, we now know Oh, of course, and Red Riding Hood gets eaten by the wolf in the original. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Do you know, you mentioned the moment. My the, the reason I watched Gremlins, actually, because there's one scene that I just can't wait, is when they are at the cinema. Yes. And the movie they are watching is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. And when the dwarf starts to sing, and then all the gremlins stop messing on and fighting and whatever, and they all start to sing together. Yes. is just pure joy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. I, I, I'd, I'd forgotten about that, but it is one of those moments where, oh, wow, whoever thought that up, it was just a genius moment. Absolutely. And I think that's where the film kind of works. But um, it's also a, a, I mean, I can't remember how many times we mentioned Steven Spielberg as part of film marketing, but of course, he's such a uh, prolific you know, a producer as well as director. But very much like the Goonies that we spoke about a, a few weeks ago, this movie is like the, the 80s kind of trove of, of nods and, and little kind of Easter eggs. Uh, there's stuff that you spot now that you may have missed the first time you saw it, you know, back in, in, eight, in 84 from cameos from producers and directors, including Steven Spielberg himself. You've got Robbie the Robot from obviously From the Planet. Yes. You've got obviously E.T. that was produced a few years prior to yeah. Gremlins, where yeah. in a very symbolic way, um, I think it's called Spike, isn't it? The, the, the evil gremlin, the leader of the pack, is hiding in a, um, in a big kind of department store behind a stuffed puppet version of E.T. And then yes. that uh, puppet just drops to the floor as he's looking in a very evil way towards, you know, um, uh, the Zach, I think, is the actor, that's right, and looking to obviously kill him. Indeed, yeah. I mean, I love, I love things like that because... If you don't know what it means, it doesn't harm you. But if you're a geek like us, it's just a treasure trove of experience, isn't it? And talking points throughout the movie. And that's why I end up, when I watch those movies, I look at you know the posters on the wall of the bedrooms because usually the yes. stuff that either I used to have or wish I'd had. The, uh, I think the most kind of obvious nod to 80s movies would be when in one of the scenes, one of the gremlins is playing a video game, which is Star Wars. And yes. when they move towards the cinema and you've got the neon lights outside telling you coming soon, they have the working titles of famous films by Steven Spielberg and so on and so forth. But it's not Mm -hmm. distracting because one thing that I know you enjoy is the movie really moves at quite some pace. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's fast. It is fast. Apart from that, that dodgy scene yeah. about the about the <laughs> chimney, it's, it's just never-ending. never, never ending. So there was one thing I wanted to ask you, Roger. You mentioned a moment ago how odd Gremlins, a fine Christmas movie released in the summer of 1984. We got it properly in December in the UK, but then the movie was re-released a second time at the theatres in the summer of 1985 in the US again. Just so like, I've, I've never heard of a movie having two cinema releases in the space of 12 months. Is it because you think the the winter months with all the merchandising and, and the hype in Europe led to a big, bigger fan base? I think that may have been it, mightn't it? Because, I, I mean, my initial thought was this was probably before the days when it was absolutely guaranteed that the VHS, I guess, at mm. the time, 
naturally came out three to four months after the cinema version. You you could actually have to wait a year, two years, you know, even even longer for a film to come out. So I I, I wonder whether it was less about the fact that there was a fan base. It was just that were they were geeing the market up again make people come to the cinema to remember how good it was so that when we get it out to VHS, they're going to go and buy that as well. So <laughs> I, I wonder whether it was almost like a pre-marketing campaign for the actual VHS release. Of course, yes. And then like all movies, this has had the treatment on DVD, Blu-ray and so on. I, I've got the DVD version, uh, the special director's cut, where there's no mm-hmm. additional scenes, but there's just do- documentaries. And actually in that documentary, I learned something that I wasn't aware of, which is the term gremlins allegedly comes from a British pilot who during the Second World War kept blaming the many kind of mechanical failures of, of the aircraft to creatures called gremlins. Yeah, well, there you go. I never knew that. (laughs) (laughs) So shall we talk about marketing just a bit? Let's talk about marketing. So first thing, this was 1984. Not many options available to the filmmakers and to Warner Brothers in particular. So we had posters and we had trailers. To begin with, the poster at the time was fantastic. All you saw was this box held by what we later will understand would be Zach's in our hands. The box is slightly open, the lid is slightly off, and we see two cute little hands peeking out of the box to reveal, obviously, Mogwai, Gizmo. But you have to go through the movies to see what he looked like. Cute, clever, mischievous, intelligent, dangerous. <laughs> no, it was an intriguing, intriguing poster, wasn't it? Not shocking, just definitely intriguing. Uh, And again, in those days, because you hadn't got the ability to show a trailer to everybody on the internet, on YouTube, like you would today, posters were a massive, massive way of promoting a film. And and I think something like this, with that, you know, it tantalizingly makes you wonder what is in the box. And, And we just love a little mystery, don't we? I want to open the box and find out what's inside it. So yeah, it's a very, very clever piece piece of marketing just to whet the customer's appetite. You're right, the, the reward was go to the movies and sit for the reveal. And they followed the, the same kind of uh, intrigue for the trailers, but that backfired. Because you see, when you watch a trailer and it comes across as a cutesy Christmas movie or something that is not a dark comedy or a horror because for the trailers, they either completely um, hid from view the um, you know, Mogwai, the Gizmo or the Gremlins or there was one trailer for families where you only see Gizmo. So, of course, mm. families with very young children went to see Gremlins and got a bit of a shock. Yeah, I mean, I that's what is one of the memories that I have of that film was that I had quite a few friends who had younger sisters and brothers at the time, mm. and and I do remember that the, the whole a lot of the merchandising that went with the film, and again because as you've said it was re-released, that that merchandise had really taken hold um, culturally, and and it was it was cute, it was it was a to- it was a it was almost like a surrogate baby, wasn't it? It was. It was an an inhuman baby in a human sort of way, and and it was cute and and it, and it sucked people in. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I bet a lot of young children begged their parents to take <laughs> them to the cinema to see that, and then they their parents probably spent the next year regretting it because they had to sit up with their kids all night comforting them because they thought that the the gremlins were going to pop out from under the bed and put them in a liquidizer. Well, particularly <laughs> when the the character plays the dad. 
at the very end because uh, from memory the, the the film this book ended with the dad uh, monologue stating that he has a story to tell and then the closer where he says you know look under your bed look in your in your kind of cupboards they could be there so i'm sure those poor kids have been spending many nights keeping their parents awake and interestingly i mentioned a moment ago you know 1984 was an amazing year for film goers because you also had uh, indiana jones and the temple of doom yeah. and that very infam uh, infamous scene of the the heart being pulled out of the chest of one of of the victims in the temple of doom so Steven spielberg that year got um criticized for creating movies that were allegedly for families and became scary as a result of which he suggested that they should invent the pg-13 kind of category of film rating so um yeah gremlins is responsible for creating that new rating i didn't know that pascal <laughs> and i always thought the pg-13 was a bit of a scam really <laughs> it was it was to let us let us show a scary movie but get away with a uh, a lower um certificate for it so uh yeah i suppose yeah if we if if we if we're thanking Spielberg for that, then there's quite a few films that I guess I saw in that period which I owe to him. <laughs> yeah. So just you know, back to, to the marketing for me, Roger is I think with the trailers that that was a a, a misstep that they, they they missed it and misled. It perhaps was innocent. Perhaps he was just informed by the success of the likes of of ET and and films that are just coming out of the the early eighties. But um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a lesson for for everyone you know out there. The the other thing that I wanted to mention to you, of course, about not just the marketing, but the ongoing marketing, is how gremlins then were adopted in popular culture, and they they are known by all and mentioned everywhere. And um, you are more au fait with music than I am, I must confess. But am I right in thinking that near your neck of the wood there is a rock band called Mogwai? There is a a, a rock band called Mogwai, and until this instant in time <laughs> i hadn't actually made the connection but of course it's it's absolutely like slap the forehead moment isn't it yeah absolutely and there are all sorts of other instances and, ex and, and examples of that where gremlins has effectively been absolutely embedded within popular culture yeah and also you know when as the two geeks you know we say that the 80s were a great decade for film and music we are right you know that's absolutely right i mean to the point where even the very last offering from the lego movie the gremlins make an appearance uh, as a little <laughs> nod to obviously uh, the uh, what, what they've given us as legacy to film goers and, and storytellers yeah and you know a few weeks ago when we did lost boys and we said you know wouldn't it have been great i wanted to be the vampire <laughs> you know i wanted to be keith sutherland's character you know even though the Mogwai was cute and everything, and he was he was adorable, and he kept getting cuddles from the young kids in the movie, you really wanted to be the stripy one, didn't you? Having fun and and shooting people and sitting in the um, in the cinema, yeah, and eating lots of sweets, eating popcorn. <laughs> and, and indeed, you know, people have been trying to, I think, overanalyze the movie, saying, "Oh, oh it's a." It's a kind of a criticism or an observation of society, how we are now dominated by gadgets and, and uh, overconsumption. I just think it's just, just a fantastic dark comedy that yeah. then opened the door to things like uh, Critters and Ghoulies and many of the other kind of uh, 80s and 90s nasties. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. One of, the, one of the best, and yet again, yet again is one I'm going to have to dig out 
from the depths of my cupboard, cupboard blow some dust off it probably and, and give it another watch. So to our viewers and listeners, you've heard it here again. Die Hard and Gremlins are the top Christmas movies and we hope that you get the chance to watch them again. Yeah, and oh yeah. Every time we say something like this, you can just hear the internet start to seize up, can't you? Uh, but yeah, absolutely right. We'll be talking about more Christmas movies on future episodes of Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast. Roger Edwards, it has been a pleasure to spend summer 2020 in your company. This is episode 23, wrapping up for our viewers and listeners. We want to wish you the very best. Enjoy the break. We'll be back very, very soon early 2021. I was Pascal Fintoni, he was Roger Edwards. Until the very next one, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. For more information about our film marketing consultancy and training services, go to filmmarketingacademy.com and book your free discovery video call. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and follow your host on social media for more updates.